Good morning, Encounter. Welcome to Open House Sunday yet again. Before we get into God's word together, let's say a word of prayer. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence here today with us. I pray that whether we're in a room together or on Zoom here together, that you would fill the space between us with your presence. I pray you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hands to receive all that you are doing, all that you are longing to do in us. I pray that this word would become living and active in our hearts and in our lives. Highlight to us the things that are most important for us to learn and help us to draw near to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Something that I love to read is autobiographies. I just love to hear that first person perspective, how somebody views their own life. And sometimes the the way somebody views their life is totally different to the way people outside of that person's life are viewing it. Let me give you an example. I was recently reading the autobiography of um, tennis professional Andre Agassi, who in the 1990s took the tennis world by storm, reaching number one, winning all um, four grand slams, winning an Olympic gold medal. He has all these accomplishments and titles to his name as a tennis player. He spent his entire life and given it over to tennis. And so from the outside looking in, everybody looking at Andre Agassi's life would say, this is a man who is dedicated, committed, passionate about tennis. He must love of tennis. And what you find out if you read, no spoiler alert, sorry, his autobiography open is that he hated tennis. He despised it. And when he finally retired in 2006, he felt like he broke free of the prison of tennis, even though tennis had given him all these good things in his life. And so when you look at his life from the outside, it looked very different than his experience of his own life on the inside. And one thing that he says in this autobiography is, quote, life will throw everything but the kitchen sink in your path, and then it will throw the kitchen sink, unquote. Sometimes life has a way of throwing everything at us. Life is not easy. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So what does God call us to do? We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 40. We're going to start reading at verse 27 to the end. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from God? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. This passage of scripture starts with God's people asking questions. They're asking questions and they're looking for answers. So this is a time in Israel's life where Israel felt like nothing's going right because nothing was. They were in a time of great exile, 
had turned their back on God. They had turned their back on God's God's ways. And what had happened is a foreign army, Babylon, had taken them, taken over and taken them. So they had lost their their home. They had lost their identity in many ways. They they were a foreign people living without a land or a purpose of their own trying to live for God in a place that was hostile to God. We see this in the book of Daniel. We see this is Daniel in exile in Babylon. So this is actually what's happening. And they're asking God, God, do you see us? God, do you know what's happening to us? God, what are you going to do? Essentially, they're saying, God, do you care? God, do you have the power to change this? And if you do, why don't you do something, God? Have you ever found yourself asking questions like that? God, where are you? Is often a question that we ask in our darkest moments, in our darkest hours. God, why don't you step in and intervene? And and God responds. God responds. And God doesn't respond in anger or God doesn't respond in frustration. Now, we might have heard that when I read verse 27 in one of those um, emotionalities of anger or impatience or frustration. But that's not how God's speaking here. And how do I know that? If we go to the beginning of Isaiah chapter 40, God tells Isaiah how he wants him to speak to his people. Isaiah 40, comfort, comfort my people, says your God in verse one. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Speak tenderly. So this is God speaking tenderly and speaking comfort to his people. So when he says, why are you saying God doesn't see me? God doesn't know what's happening to me. God doesn't care. He's not angry with his people at this point. He's wanting to comfort them. He's wanting to speak tenderly and lovingly and kindly to them. And he comes and responds to our questions. He doesn't have to, but he he's there. He's present in the midst of our questions. And this is what the response is in verse 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. This do you not know, have you not heard, is a prompt for remembering. So we're going to look at three things today. The first one being remembering who God is. What do we do when circumstances don't make sense? What do we do when all we have is questions and not many answers? Well, the first thing we need to do is remember. We need to remember who God is. And how do we do that? Well, one of the ways that we're reminded of who God is, is through scripture. Scripture points to us the character of God. Scripture shows us the faithfulness of God in the past. Sometimes I like to think about the stories in scripture as being kind of dots along a hike. As as you go on these hiking trails, all the trails are marked and you'll see like, this is the blue trail. This is the yellow trail. This is the white trail. And one of them's harder, more expert difficulty. One of them's easier. And as you go along, you, what you're looking for is the next dot. So say you're following the blue trail. You're looking for that next blue dot. What does that blue dot give you? Well, one of the things that blue dot gives you is hope. Because you're like, oh, I'm on the right trail. And so as we're walking along, We want to know we're on the right path, that we're not, we haven't veered off the wrong way, that we're not going to get stuck somewhere and not be able to find um, the beginning again. No, we're going the right way. And sometimes you can hit a fork in the road and you think, oh no, do I go right or do I go left? Which path am I supposed to take here? And you're looking for that next blue dot. The stories in scripture of God's faithfulness to his people in the past functions like that next blue dot. 
it lets us know that someone's been this way before. I'm not making a new trail through the forest. It's safe. Someone's been here before. I can follow the path that they've laid out. I can trust the signposts that they have put up for me of who God is, that he's faithful, that he arrives, that he doesn't leave me alone in the storm, that God is good, that God is there, that even when I can't see him, even when I can't understand what he's doing in my life, that God is doing something. The Bible says that he who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it. And so when he, uh, Isaiah says, do you not know? Have you not heard? The people knew. The people knew who God was. How did they know? Through the stories of faith that had been passed down. The people had heard of who God was. Even in a foreign land, they knew because their their grandfather had passed it to their their father and their father had passed it to them. And so from the the stories of their family passed down, this is our family of faith. Go back to those, those stories of faithfulness of God speaking to Abraham. And he says to him, go. And Abraham says, go where? I don't know where you're sending me. And God shows him. He says, go and I'll show you. I'll make a great nation of you, Abraham. And he says, how? I, I don't have any descendants. I don't have any children. My wife and I are getting older and older. Everything in their circumstance, everything in the natural seemed like it was pointing Abraham towards failure. It was pointing Abraham to a lack of fertility that this promise of God, this was foolish, Abraham. Why are you even believing this? And yet God intervenes. And yet God works even through Abraham's mistake of um, taking Hagar and trying to birth Ishmael his own way. God even works through that. And so God even works through our, our unbelief. He can work even through our unbelief, but how much more so our faith. And Abraham is called the father of faith. And God shows up for Abraham. Over and over and over again, God is showing up. God is showing who he is. He makes known to us who he is through his ways, through the ways that he's worked in his people in the past. If we go to to the book of Daniel and you see God's faithfulness to Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, They refuse to bow down to the culture, bow down to the statue erected of the king. And the king is so angry. The king is so bothered by this rebellion, by this insolence as he views it. And what do the men say? Our God is able to save us. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't save us, even if God doesn't act the way I expect him to, even if God doesn't do what I want him to do, even if God's timing is not my timing, even then we won't bow down to your idol. We won't compromise our faith. We won't throw it away. And what happens to them? They get thrown into the fiery furnace. Now, if I'm them, I'm thinking in that moment, Oh my goodness, God did not show up for me. Here I am in the fiery furnace. And what do we see? The king looking into the fiery furnace, a fire so hot that the men who threw him in died. He says, didn't we throw three men into that fiery furnace? Then why do I see four? And the fourth looks like a son of God. And, and they walk around unbound. The, the ropes that were around them, they, they are burnt off, unbound and unharmed. They don't even smell like smoke when they come out. Why? Because God's with them in the fiery furnace. And God is with you in your fiery furnace. God is with you in your lion's den. God is with me in those circumstances and in those moments where we feel hidden from God, where we feel like God didn't show up in the ways and in the timing that we want him to. 
God is still present. God is still there. And God is reminding the people of God through Isaiah saying, hey, you're not hidden from me. Hey, I still see you. Remember, remember who I am. Remember my faithfulness. Remember what I've done for you. Romans 15, 4 talks about these blue, blue dots of hope. For it says, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. So everything written in the scriptures is written to teach us, to teach us who God is, to teach us who we really are, to teach us how to live. And they give us this ability to endure, to endure hard circumstances. It gives us the encouragement that we need not to give up. They provide us with hope. And this word hope is a word that is highlighted here in Isaiah 40 as well. So we remember who God is. One way we remember, going to the scriptures. Another way, go into your life. How has God been faithful in the past? Remember, recall the faithfulness of the Lord in your life. Was there ever a time in your life where you thought you weren't going to make it and God miraculously showed up in some way, shape, or form? Remember those moments. Remember those times. And so he says, he reminds them who God is. God is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. God has seen it all. He's seen it all. He's been here from beginning and he'll be here long past the end. He has created it all. He has ultimate power. He has ultimate strength. He doesn't grow tired and weary. Here's the thing. He's not like us. We grow tired and weary. Circumstances can be too much for us to bear, but not for God. He doesn't grow tired and weary and his understanding no one can fathom. Israel's understanding was limited. Our understanding is finite. We can say in the middle of a circumstance that doesn't make sense, terrific things that we hear on the news day after day. We can say in, in hearing those things and experiencing some of those things, we can say, God, I don't understand. We're right when we say that. That is a true prayer when we pray that. You're right, we don't understand. But the scripture tells us God has an understanding that no one can fathom. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. They are high above. And though we only see but a thread, God sees the tapestry. I like to tell the story of I had a roommate one time who was a painter. And when she first told me, oh, yeah, you know, I'm a painter, I was like, okay. And I, I, she had a canvas up and she starts painting. And as the, as the hours turn into days and the days turn into weeks, I was like, I'm not sure she's a painter. Because what I saw from the outside was just a bunch of really, like, specks and, um, like, stripes of color. Like, there was, like, you know, this and that and blue and yellow. And I was like, okay, like maybe she's one of those abstract painters that I don't necessarily understand what they're painting. Cool. But I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's happening there. Like, I don't, I don't have your painter vision. I'm not seeing what you're seeing. And she just kept at it day after day, week after week. And at one point she moved her canvas out of our room into um, a common area and she would paint all different areas. So I lost track of what she was doing. And I saw her take out this like, black midnight sky paint and after what was on her canvas looked like it was coming together I was like oh it's kind of looking nice now there's like kind of cool mixture of colors she took this black paint and she just went 
all across the canvas. And I was like, what are you doing? Like, I know I'm not a painter, but like, maybe I could give you some tips. I don't think you're supposed to cover the whole thing in black paint now. Like you've been working on this for a long time and now you're just gonna cover the whole thing in black paint. What are you doing? And at that point, I just kind of gave up monitoring her project because I was like, okay, well, whatever makes you happy, you do you. So <laughs> at the end of our time staying where we were together as roommates, she said, I wanna give a gift to this um, house of prayer that we were living in. And I thought, oh no, oh no, she had the canvas, but it was covered. I thought, oh no, she's gonna embarrass herself. Like she's gonna lift this tarp up and we're all gonna see this like, I don't know, hodgepodge of paint she's thrown on this canvas that doesn't look like anything. What is gonna happen? And as she lifted the tarp, I was shocked. Like my jaw probably dropped. <laughs> it was beautiful. She had painted this beautiful painting of um, kind of like the forest area with all its different nuances of color coming through. And then these trilliums that were kind of shimmering and shining and had like gold specks and everything that she had thrown on that canvas somehow added to the depth and the richness and the dimension of her painting. And I was shocked and I was a little embarrassed, not for her, but for myself, because I hadn't seen what she had seen when she first saw that blank canvas. I hadn't seen what she saw when I thought she was ruining that canvas with midnight sky paint. I hadn't seen, I hadn't understood, I hadn't trusted the process. Sometimes you hear that, trust the process. I hadn't trusted the process. I hadn't trusted her abilities as a painter. I didn't know she could paint like that. I didn't know her, what her process was lending itself to. And this is how it is in our life with God. This is how it was for Israel. Israel was having trouble trusting the process, having trouble understanding what the painter saw. See, we don't see as God sees. We can't imagine what he's creating out of our lives. Joseph, when he looked at his life, when he gets you know thrown in a pit and they steal his coat from, that his dad gave him and they sell him off to Egypt, he doesn't see what God sees. God had given him this dream, which is almost like, you know, seeing the picture at the end. But how could that ever be, God? You're throwing these colors onto the canvas of my life that make no sense, that don't mix well together, that seem to be ruining what you're making. Do you, are you even a painter? Do you even know what you're doing? We can begin to question God. We begin to doubt God in our heart. And the enemy comes in and he lies. Did God really say? Does God really care? Does he love you? And he's been the same way since the beginning. And, and Joseph in Potiphar's house, he gets accused of something he never did. He gets punished for something that wasn't his fault. He finds himself in prison and he's forgotten again and again and again, fighting for his life, fighting for the way forward. This is not what God promised him. And yet we see at the end of this time, when he rises to second in command in Israel, when he's able to save the lives of his own family as they come, um, in a great time of famine, needing what Joseph had. We see this verse that Joseph's brothers were scared that Joseph now, having risen to the top of the world, basically, would come have revenge on them. And he says, don't you understand what the enemy meant for evil God has used for good for the salvation of many lives? He didn't know how God was going to get him there, but he had to trust that God was faithful. And even when we're not, God is still faithful. And we keep going so this is our God, our God that does not grow weary, our God that completely understands. Remember who God is. 
remember. Isaiah 40 calls us to remember. And the second thing it calls us to do is to rely. We need to rely on him. It says, even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. This word hope here is the Hebrew word kava. This word kava comes from the root word kav, which is a picture. So Hebrew is all full of picture words of a rope being pulled from one side to the other. And this tension that's existing in this rope that when it's released, there is relief. And so if you think about it like a tug of war, you ever play tug of war and you're pulling your side and the other side's pulling there and you have this understanding that this tug of war is not going to last forever, that at some point somebody's going to let go and there's going to be a release and there's going to be relief. There's hope for that. And this word hope comes from that. Another picture of this word kava is of a farmer, a farmer planting seed and hoping hoping, having an inner knowledge or knowing that, that this seed with enough rain, with enough sun, with enough tending will become a plant and that plant will become fruitful. There is a hope. There is a waiting in expectation. The third part of this word hope, this word kava is a, a picture of intertwining or braiding together. The picture that, um, that, that comes to mind for this is if you've ever planted a little plant, and it wasn't very strong, and it couldn't grow strong on its own. It needed to cling to something to grow. I remember we had this little tree that we had planted when I was a kid, and I would go out every day and try to tend to this tree. And my dad at one point said, this tree's, you know, it's not growing. It's very small. It's not growing up towards the sun in the right way. It's kind of flopping over. And we had to put a stake in the ground to this pole of wood, and this little tree plant had to sort of kind of cling to this stake for support. It had to cling to this, this wood for protection, for um, direction, to know which way to grow, to grow up until it became strong. And so this word hope is to intertwine with God. It's to hold on to God. That is what hope is. Hope is not an optimistic wish. Hope is clinging to a person it is saying, I trust you, God. I am going to cling to you. I am going to rely on you. When everything in my life feels unreliable, you, God, are reliable. When everything in my life feels uncertain, God, you are my certainty. When everything in my life feels unstable, God, you are my stability. And that is this word hope. Do we hope in God? Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 to 10. He says, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. On him, we set our hope. This word hope is not hope in my circumstance, that my circumstance will magically get better. This hope is in a person. My hope is in God. Those who hope in the Lord, those who rely on God, those who place their trust in God, those who believe in God. This is the, the ones who have their strength renewed. 
There's a story that kind of floats around in the folklore surrounding Niagara Falls. And I don't think it's a true story, but it's a great analogy. So, you know, as the story goes or the legend continues, um, there was a man who was crossing across the falls on a, on a tightrope. And as he's walking across the falls on the tightrope, everyone around him is looking in awe and wonder, like, wow, is he going to do it? Is he going to fall? Oh, my goodness. And, you know, he teeters through in, in the middle a bit, and you're not sure, and the wind blows, and he's balancing with his hands on, on either side, and he successfully crosses. And everybody claps and cheers, and he says, I did it once. I crossed over. Do you believe, he shouts to the people, do you believe I can do it again? And the people say, we believe, we believe, you can do it again. And so he gets back up on that wire and he crosses back over to the beginning. And now the people are really riled up and they're cheering and he's, he's accomplished what seems to be the impossible. And he's, he's looked life and death in the face and he's survived. And so he says, you've seen me cross, not just one way, but the other way back again. Do you believe I could do it with a wheelbarrow? And if I have a wheelbarrow, I won't be able to use my hands to balance. Do you, do you believe? And the people say, we believe, we believe. And they're shouting up at him. And they're so um, in awe and wonder at this sight that they're seeing. And he says, that's so wonderful. He says, I'm going to make it even harder. Do you believe that I could put a person inside this wheelbarrow? And, you know, that'll adjust the balance. It'll make it more difficult. Do you believe that if I put a person in this wheelbarrow, I can push this wheelbarrow across and, um, and make it safely with a person inside? And everyone screams and cheers and shouts, we believe, we believe. And he says, okay, I need a volunteer. <laughs> um, who wants to volunteer? Who wants to get in the wheelbarrow? And everyone, nobody makes eye contact. Everyone's hands are at their side. Nobody wants to volunteer. Now, that's probably not a true story. <laughs> it's a silly little anecdote, but it's a great picture to believe God in those circumstances that we don't know how to get out of, that we don't know what to do next. Do we truly believe? Faith is relying on God. So it is those who hope in the Lord who then, the third point, being renewed, we are renewed. We are renewed. It says those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. What I love about this is that this strength, this renewing, it's a gift. Verse 29 says he gives. He gives. He gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. So it is not about my strength. It is not about my power. It's about his. And he gives this. As I put my hope in him, as I put my trust in him, as I become like that plant intertwined around him, braided into God, he gives me the gift of strength. He gives me the gift of his power that does not diminish. And it says, I will soar on wings like eagles. I will soar. Now, how do eagles soar? Eagles fly they're the only bird that does this, to my knowledge, into a storm. <laughs> so when all the other birds are looking and ducking and finding cover, eagles are like, great, a storm? Awesome. Here's an opportunity to fly higher. Here's an opportunity to rest. They look at a storm as an opportunity to fly higher and to rest, to mount up. So the thermals of a storm in the wind, the eagle flies right into that storm. And instead of flapping their wings like a hummingbird a million times over, they just put out their wings and they let the current of that storm, they let the thermals rise under their wings and do the work. And they begin to soar and have a different perspective and to see things from above. 
God will allow us in the storms of life when we put our hope in him and not in our circumstance to begin to soar above, to not be pelted by the rain underneath, but to come above in a different perspective and see it as an opportunity to trust him more, to grow more, to grow closer to him, to rely on him. Come, let us soar on wings like eagles. And then it says, let us run. So there's these circumstances in life where it's a storm and we need God to kind of swoop in and save us. We need God to send, send the currents of wind to carry us. We need him to carry us on eagle's wings. And then there's other circumstances in life that it feels like a marathon and it's never ending and we're running and we run out of strength. And, and how can we keep going? Where's the finish line? You know, often runners that are in marathons, it's, it's right before the finish line. It's when they see that finish line that they get this kind of second wind because they can see the goal. But sometimes when you're in the middle of the race and you can't see the finish line and you feel like you're lagging behind everyone, that you get tired and weary. And this, this concept that they will run and not grow weary, those things in your life that just run over, you're running over and over and over and you feel like you're on a treadmill, Ask God for his strength. Ask God for his power that you can run and not grow weary. And finally, you can walk and not be faint. Those everyday steps, those little by little steps, we need God's strength in those things as well. God wants to increase our strength. God wants to renew us. Paul talks about how our outward body is fading away. (laughs) The older you get, the more you realize your outward body is fading away. You wake up with like creaks and cracks and pain that you didn't have when you were young. Though our outward body fades away. He says, my spirit, it's being renewed day by day. Every day as we come to God is an opportunity for God to renew our inward strength, to renew what's going on in the inside of us. See, this is the opposite of where we started. We started with the, with the story or analogy of Andre Agassi and his life and how from the outside, his life looked so successful and wonderful, but inside he was suffering. Inside he was unhappy. But see, when we're found in Christ, it can be the opposite of that. Outside, everyone can be looking at your life and being like, how are they holding it together? Like they've been through a lot. There's a lot going on there. But inside, our reliance and our hope can be in God. And therefore, inside, we can rise up like an eagle and and be up top of the storm. We can be running and not getting weary, keep going and having this extra strength. We can be walking day by day, little by little, step by step, and not becoming faint. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. How is God inviting you today to hope in him? How is he asking you to remember who he is, to rely on him, and then to be renewed? Father Jesus, Holy Spirit, I thank you for your word that is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it is, um, it is enabling us to, to be equipped and to be transformed, to be more like you. I pray today, God, that this word would go into our hearts and that it would stay there. God, I pray that we would remember who you are, that you would remind us constantly of your never-ending strength, of your everlasting power, of your um, unlimited understanding. I pray that we would rely on you in the areas where we feel weak, where we can't know we can't do it ourselves. When we are weak, God, we realize we are strong because your grace is sufficient. And I pray that we would hope in you, that we would rely on you, God. And God, I also pray that for your renewal, 
I pray for each of us that are feeling at the end of ourselves, that God, that you would renew our strength, that you would restore everything the enemy has stolen, that you would renew our minds, renew our purpose and our identity in you. And that when we find ourselves like Israel saying, God, you don't see, God, do you know? When we ask these questions, that we would find you being the answer, that you are the answer and hoping in you is what you are calling us to. In your name we pray, amen.